This is episode number one, five, six, with the most legendary couple of the South, Vince and Barbara Dooley. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. My name is Nick Carrier, a lifestyle entrepreneur and fitness trainer. My goal is for you to gain more clarity on what the best version of yourself looks like, what the best version of yourself is capable of, and then to provide you with the tools, tips, and inspiration on how to make that person a reality. Today, I bring you one of the most legendary couples of the South, Vince and Barbara Dooley. Vince Dooley is one of the winningest college football coaches in history. He was the coach of the University of Georgia Bulldogs for 25 years, leading them to six SEC championship victories and one national championship victory in 1980. Barbara has had an unbelievable life in her own right. She brings along with her a charismatic personality that lights up the room and led her to being a successful author, speaker, realtor, and TV personality. In this interview, Vince and Barbara talk about how they met from both perspectives, which is hilarious. They talk about their early days at UGA. Vince talks about his leadership philosophy, how he was able to change the culture at UGA, and the key to sustained excellence in a career. Barbara talks about what it was like supporting Vince and being for him along this journey. She talks about her different endeavors, how she found her own successes, and she gives an amazing story about Herschel Walker that you do not want to miss. Make sure you take a screenshot of this episode when you're listening and post it to your Instagram stories and tag me at carrier underscore best you and let me know your favorite part. Make sure you share this episode with a friend or family member during these surreal times. Share it with someone who went to UGA someone who is a fan of the SEC, of college football in general, or just someone who is looking to become a better leader. And remember, these tough times are when you really get to see what you're made of. These are the times when you get to show yourself your resilience. You get to show yourself how you handle a challenge head on. Be a champion during this time and be positive. Take daily small steps towards success and bring others along with you. And if you're looking to get some workouts done at home with no equipment, Go to nickcarrier.com slash fitness and pick up my ebook, The Bodyweight Grind. That's just $10. It's a four-week bodyweight workout program that is perfect during these times of challenge. But for now, it's time. It's time to work on getting closer to the best version of yourself today with this legendary and inspiring couple, Vince and Barbara Dooley. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. I have been very much looking forward to today's interview, and I have... The one and only Coach Vince Dooley and his wife Barbara Dooley with me today. I just want to start off by saying thanks so much for taking the time out of your day to spend with me today. We're glad to be with you. Thank you. Awesome, of course. Well, so basically the way I want to way I want to start is I'm kind of getting to y'all's early on in your relationship. So you've been going on 60 years of marriage as of in March, right? This upcoming month? Yep. 60 awesome. years in March. Awesome. Well, happy early anniversary. Um, and to introduce you guys real quick, Coach Vince Dooley was the University of Georgia football coach for 25 seasons, also athletic director um, for about 25 years as well. Your record as a football coach was 201-77-10 and 10, with six SEC championships and one national championship back in 1980. And uh, Barbara, you're an author, speaker, you were radio and uh, TV personality, and you built a career as a realtor as well. Um, but basically the way I want to start, like I said, is you guys met back at Auburn, um, of all places and Vince, you were about 25 years old and an assistant coach there. And Barbara, you were in school and you guys dated about one time a year for about four years, which is what I, which is what I learned. And I kind of want to start by what was different about the fourth time compared to the first three. 
Well, I think she grew up by the fourth uh, year. Uh, she was just a freshman when we dated the uh, first time. Uh, I had been, I had finished school, had gone in to the Marine Corps and uh, came back two years after active duty as an assistant football coach at Auburn where I had, we had attended. I became the faculty chairman or counselor of the Newman Club, which was the church group. And I looked around at all of these co-eds and then I saw Barbara, who I thought needed counseling and advising more than any of the others. So I started trying to advise and counsel her as a freshman, but uh, she didn't uh, take, at least she started listening after four years, but she's yet to take my advice or my counsel. <laughs> That's awesome. So Barbara, what about, what about, what's your point of view here? I was so totally confused by him, first of all, because he was seven years older than me. And that was like an old man to me. You know, I'm 18 in college. And here's this guy that's been in the Marine Corps, finished college. And I'm going, what in the world? I don't date old men. <laughs> and so finally. Oh, you kept coming back. Oh, God. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway. All I can say is he is a great recruiter. Hey. It took him four years, but he did the job. Uh, well, good thing you got a little bit better, and it didn't take everybody four years to convince to come join you, right? Right. That's awesome. So next thing I kind of want to get into is at age 31, you that's kind of when you first moved to University of Georgia as the as got, and got hired as the head football coach. But you kind of had a decision to make, I understand, between a head coach at University of Georgia and then maybe being a, a coach over at Arkansas as well. So I just kind of want to ask a little bit what went into making that decision to going to coach for University of Georgia? Well, that wasn't really much of a decision. <laughs> My plan was to leave Auburn and go and be at Arkansas as an assistant coach under Frank Broyles, or go to Texas under Dale Royal. I'd been in Georgia at uh, Auburn eight years. My plan was to leave and uh, to coach under those uh, two extremely well-known coaches, gain more experience, and then when Coach Jordan, who was the head coach at Auburn, retired, then I was hopeful they would call me back. So you never know when you're cast into a leadership role. So I've always felt like it's important that you uh, are constantly preparing yourself for what your goals may be. Or what might happen, <laughs> well, for sure. Well, because you'll be cast into it, and as I was at an early age, and I fortunately uh, was preparing myself for that opportunity. So when I got it at age 31, long before that I thought I was ready to be a head coach, there was no decision. Are you going to be an assistant coach and turn down a head coach at an institution uh, that incredible uh, resources and opportunities, and one that I was familiar with because we competed against Georgia when I was at Auburn. Right, and so and so, Barbara, what's kind of going through your head when this decision is being made that you guys are going to move to to Athens and and he was going to get the coaching job there? What's kind of going through your head about 
this decision? Well, it was a, a unified decision, first of right. all. I want to make that clear. It was. But, yeah, I told you to go. Oh, no. <clears throat> well, I did ask you. I know. And, then you, you, and that's when you said, uh, I'll never complain again about uh, about coaching. Yeah. yeah well, let me tell you, that was the beginning of the bitching. Are you kidding me? <laughs> um, the first year that he was at Georgia, I had three babies under three, and he was home 52 nights out of the year. Oh. So I spent a lot of nights crying because he was not home. But, you know, he had prepared himself to be a head coach, but nobody can prepare you to have three babies under three. It just throws you in the pot and says, do it. Oh, oh yeah. And be there primarily by yourself. And, yeah, and then be alone. But it worked out great. The kids and I grew up together mm -hmm. and uh, had a good time. Oh, but I will say that when he did take the job, it was like good news and bad news. The good news was he's going to be the head coach at Georgia. The bad news was that all my friends were going to be in Miami at the Orange Bowl. <laughs> we weren't going to be there. <laughs> well, we, uh, when we came at, uh, to Athens, we had an ice storm. And uh, we were at the Holiday Inn in downtown Athens. And all the electricity went off. Mm -hmm. uh, as Barbara mentioned, uh, we had Deanna, the oldest one, who was about two, two and a half. And then uh, Daniel, the second one, was six months. And then she was pregnant with Denise, who was due soon. And, uh, and Daniel was crying and she was crying. So I took Deanna and we went and had a candlelight dinner together. My little uh, daughter. Two and a half years old and left me in the room with a baby screaming, crying. <laughs> next, uh, next day, the electricity came on. So we sat there and watched the Orange Bowl. Auburn was playing, I don't know who, but the sun was shining and here we are iced in. And uh, then she started crying again. <laughs> well, and today I cry when I think about his first paycheck was 12500 at Georgia, and the mm -hmm. new coach is at $7 million. So that's <laughs> a big discrepancy. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Um, but you talked about how that first year he was home 52 nights out of 365 days a year. And obviously that probably got a little bit more and more as football season went on, but he was in a spot where he probably wasn't home as often as a lot of married couples are. So what are some maybe things that you guys did as a couple in order to stay close and keep that really strong relationship over kind of the coaching tenure? Well, I can tell you one thing we did. We took a two-week vacation together every year without children, and I would be right on the verge of saying, I'm not staying in this marriage. And then I'd figure out, that's why I married him. He's really great. <laughs> and I'd come home renewed again. <clears throat> so it's amazing how, how much you love each other, but you don't realize it when you're in the daily grind. Mm. 
you kind of need to be able to step out of that daily grind to be able to realize it. Back to those formative dating years when you fell in love and it just happens again. Mm, very cool. Very cool. So Coach Dooley, what are some of the maybe leadership changes that you had early on? Because as you, like you said, you had a, you were a head coach at 31. So you had never had that experience before, probably trying to figure things out. So how did your leadership style and philosophy really change and evolve, especially over those first number of years? Well, you still, you constantly are growing right. in your job and you're constantly growing as a leader. Uh, I was fortunate to have a good base because I was a Marine Corps officer and there was a great deal of emphasis on leadership, on organization, on discipline. And all three of those are extremely important uh, in the coaching profession or in a lot of professions, as a matter of fact, but certainly in the coaching profession. So I did have a base and I did have confidence because that I had that experience that served me well early on. And then with time, I was able to grow and to uh, be able to be better than always striving to be better than what you were the year before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you, and you mentioned discipline being obviously a huge aspect of leadership and a huge aspect of success in anything in life. How do you coach discipline to somebody? Well, I don't know that you can coach it, but you, you need to be organized. And you certainly need to, uh, if you're the person that's in charge, you need to be in charge. You set the standards. And while it's important that you uh, communicate the standards of what you expect, it's most important that you set the proper example of the standards that you have set personally. And I think that in itself, again, helped me when I started out. And it's mm -hmm. because not only was I dealing with a uh, hundred and something football players, but I had about 12 coaches that were ones that were kind of like NCOs, if you would have related to military, in which they were on the field. They did a lot of the work. Most of your work was done in meetings and setting an organization as to how we're going to go about doing things and what our standards are going to be. Then you have to be an example of those, not just talk about them. But again, right. you followed through. If he said this would happen if this doesn't take place, it happened. Mm. He didn't throw out wild statements. He right. backed up everything. I love that. Do you think that was maybe, I, was, I wanted to ask this question anyway, do you think the kind of showing his own personal discipline and following through on those things? Do you think that was like his strongest leadership quality or if not, what was maybe his strongest leadership quality? Well, I think the, his strongest leadership quality is if I say something, you better darn well listen to me. <laughs> but he meant business. He had goals. He set his goals. And let me say this. He never varied from reaching those goals. And it's amazing. So many of us set goals and something puts a snag in the road and we forget it. Well, he didn't. Those snags were just impetus for him to continue stronger. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you grow uh, and uh, as you set your goals and uh, you determine and you focus, which is extremely important. 
to achieve that goal. But as you go along, uh, you grow as a person, you grow as a leader, and hopefully each and every year you get better at what you do. Mm -hmm. So do you guys set, like I'm, I'm, both you guys are very successful individually in your own rights and successful as a parenting couple. Do you guys set goals for yourselves as a couple or yourselves as a family and that sort of thing? Well, I don't know so much about goals, but uh, the, the best way to approach that is that in deciding uh, the person that you want to spend your life with, it's important that you share basic values. And by sharing those basic values, then you're able to work out the goals. But the goals are within the values that you share. And so it's extremely important that when you start off, make a commitment as partners that you both have established through growing up and the particular religion or particular place that you live, that you share some basic goals, which we did, and they were primary goals. Now, there are other things that you try to work out as you go along. In fact, we've been married 60 years and we're still working at a few things that we need to uh, work out. But mm -hmm. the base is there, and as long as the base is there, you can work out those other things. Yeah, that sounds like, I mean, obviously such an important conversation to have with, with a significant other. So kind of on that topic, Barbara, is there a specific conversation that maybe you guys have had at some point during these 60 years that you see as maybe one of the most important conversations that you guys have had? Well, I think the most important was to decide to marry each other. <laughs> but we have, um, as he said, we have had uh, so much agreement just in the way we grew up. But I think one thing that made our marriage work was, first of all, I wanted him to succeed and I wanted to do whatever I could to help him. And I still do. And I felt the same way. I never said to him, would you help me be the best I can be? I watched him be the best he could be. And I was hell bent on being the best I could be. Mm. And so we helped each other without really sitting down talking about it. But I ran for Congress once. I, I've done everything you could. I mean, I have really stretched my wings. And only because he encouraged me to do it. He never once said no. Mm -hmm. And there were so many times I would have wanted him to say, I don't think that's a good idea. But he didn't. He let me be myself. And I know a lot of times I embarrass him because I talk too much. And I'm, I have a personality that he doesn't have. And he sometimes doesn't understand my humor. But uh, he lets me be me. And I let him be him. And I think that's, that's a strong key, don't you think? Yeah, I think it's, it's important that uh, if she has a goal, if she wants to do something, and, and sometimes I might not agree, but if I can see that she is set in what she'd like to do, then I don't uh, try to restrict. If you want to do it, do it. 
And mm -hmm. uh, so she's trying to... A bunch of stuff. A lot of things. <laughs> and uh, she, uh, she enjoys life. We, we, we're certainly different in a lot of ways. Uh, I said many times that she has one of the uh, qualities that's appealing to a lot of people, and that is that she uh, has thoughts, and, uh, but they're not thoughts that she just thinks. She expresses those thoughts without a lot of hesitation. Which gets me in a lot of trouble most of the time. <laughs> the, the, the idea that you don't have a filter on your thoughts, so you just come out. Well, that's a great trait, but at times it uh, does get her into uh, some problems, and <laughs> particularly with me. That's right. Uh, that's funny. That's funny. I love it. Uh, so, Coach Dooley, one of the most important things of forming a, a successful team is creating kind of a dynamic within the team itself to and this culture of kind of trust and uh, am amongst all the individuals. What are some maybe things that you did as a coach to help foster that team chemistry in the locker room and foster that team culture that would lead to success? Well, I think again, over it's 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 an overall uh, philosophy. I committed myself to Georgia. Uh, I had spent twelve years of my life as a student and a coach at a rival school, and now yeah. I go across the Chattahoochee, and uh, I become the head coach of our rivals. But once I made that commitment, it was extremely important that I totally commit myself to that. And the way you do that, you learn about the tradition. You learn about the history. You've got a better understanding of the background of an institution, what it stands for. And you become mm -hmm. absorbed in part of that and hopefully to be able to add to that tradition uh, and to build on that tradition. But with a great appreciation for what was already there. So that was kind of a base philosophy that I had. And then uh, I felt like that that came through to those that, that were part of our team. And by part of the team, that means all the coaches and all the trainers and uh, all the managers and all the players, all of them were part of the team family. And uh, we built, uh, I spent a lot of time working on team, doing things together, and uh, having certain goals. Uh, we used to wear, a, I had a, a good staff. People always said, well, you always had a good staff. I, yeah, why wouldn't I have a good staff? You want to have the best people working with you, and possibly. And uh, one was a fellow named Eric Russell. That was another Auburn man, so to speak who became committed to Georgia, as I did. And uh, he was a unique individual, and he had his own way of doing things. And I think that that idea of Barbara, letting her be herself, I did that in many ways with our coaches. Let mm -hmm. them coach, all within the framework of building team together and working together and having respect for each other. So we had a saying uh, as we found so many ways to emphasize team, Eric came up with these uh, T-shirts because I always uh, preach team. And he came up with one that says, big team, little me. 
uh, in uh, big 12 inch letters were team. And under that was in a little one or two inch letters was me. So it's the relative importance of me as an individual to the team. And we all wore those shirts, the players, the managers, the trainers, and all the coaches, including me. So you had to commit yourself in a basic philosophy, which is true of any organization that works together, that has unity of purpose, and that's what team is all about, and that's what football is more of a team sport than any sport, because it takes so many people to make an organization and a productive team out on the field because they're all working together and they have unity of purpose in what they're doing. No doubt. I, I, lo I love those shirts too. The big team, little me. I've seen those so many times and heard that so many times. So to hear the story of how it was uh, created was super cool. Uh, so I would, I think people would be really mad at me if I didn't ask anything about Herschel Walker. So is there like a favorite Herschel Walker memory or, or anything like that, or favorite Herschel Walker story, or, or anything that would be most well, important. Well, most of them were great, but Barbara would have one that how Herschel came to Georgia that she didn't think was too good at the time that it happened, and you might want to tell them about oh, it. Oh, well, okay. we, had, we had planned a family trip over Easter, and we were driving to uh, Boston to see my brother, who was in medical school up there. And then we were going to New York and take the kids to a play. I had everything ready to go. And the night before we were, I was packing to leave. He says, Barbara, I don't think I can go. I said, what do you mean you can't? What do you mean? And he says, Herschel hadn't signed yet and I can't go. I said, to heck with Herschel. Who in the heck does he think he is? That he hadn't signed. And he I said, said, I don't know who he thinks he is, but I know who I think he is. Yeah. And I'm not going. And I'm not going. Well, now I am left. My oldest daughter is in college, so she's not going with us. So I have three kids, only one that can drive. And now I have got to drive to Boston and do all this with my children, which turned out to be great. We had a ball, but Easter Sunday morning, he called me, we were in New York, and he said, well, Herschel signed. Oh my gosh. So he signed on Easter mm -hmm. Sunday, and I have never let Herschel forget that. <laughs> screwed up our family trip. Uh, it was it was worth i know who herschel thinks he is yeah yeah i would say i would say you've probably forgiven uh forgiven him for not coming on the family trip at this point that's hysterical so what 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 was uh maybe the turning point then to get herschel to commit to georgia well i think that uh everybody in the country had signed and he was uh so all of the attention turned to him because he was actually the number one recruit in the country, which means that everybody thought he was going to be a great player. There wasn't anybody that didn't. But I might also add, while we're talking about Herschel, uh, that Herschel was part of perhaps the best recruiting class we ever had, because that class over a four-year period 
was 43-4 and 1. Wow. Which was the best record of any team in the country over a four-year period. And what's interesting about it is that we signed Herschel, the uh, the number one <clears throat> recruit in the country. We also signed a fellow named Terry Hogue that was the least recruited player in the country. Mm. That was one that didn't have a scholarship anywhere else except at Georgia. And he was from Huntsville, Texas. Both of them became consensus All-Americans. Uh, Herschel for three years and Terry Hogue for two years, but he also became an academic All-American uh, for two years. In genetics. Uh, yeah. In well, genetics. It That's what he was in. He was going to score a, a, a hundred. He had about a 97 average in genetics when he was there. So he's a brilliant uh, individual, which helped him to be a great football player. And uh, also he played pro ball for 13 years, which is amazing. And now he grows <laughs> wine grapes. He has no a way. long vineyard. How about that? Takes his genetics and makes his wines. How about that? But they oh were the easiest that I've ever had to coach because they had great pride in themselves. They wanted to be good. They worked at it. You never had to say anything about you need to pick it up. If anything, I had to kind of slow them down because they were always going at full speed. And, uh, and so they were the easiest two players that I ever coached. And Herschel, of course, had an incredible record and Terry Hogue did also. And Herschel has the worst eating habits <laughs> of any human alive. <laughs> and when he was playing ball, he did not eat breakfast. He ate Snicker bars for lunch and Snicker bars for dinner. Well, I don't, yeah, it's eating. <laughs> They were good, terrible. But they weren't that bad. I mean, yeah, they, they were. Snickers all well, time. let me say, we were in New York in a limo one day uh, going to, he was getting an award, Herschel was. And I'm lecturing him on his food habit. And Vincent said, would you leave him alone? <laughs> Whatever he's eating, it's good. Whatever it is. Right, right. <laughs> he's like, if it ain't broke, don't fix That's it. That's right. Uh, well, I think one of the most impressive things about uh, Coach Julie you is that the sustained excellence that you had over such a long period of time. So kind of on that topic, what is maybe one of the keys to having sustained excellence over your career? Well, I fortunately had a desire to have a complete athletic program. So while I was a football coach and because I played basketball in college, I was uh, a starter as a sophomore and then tore up my knee uh, in football and in basketball. So I had a great appreciation of basketball and I really loved basketball, that uh, I wanted to see uh, whatever we did, I wanted to be good at it. And it was at a time when uh, there were a lot of issues that were coming on in intercollegiate athletics, uh, specifically in our case, Title IX which was the emergence and the opportunities for women's sports. And uh, I think that we got a good jump on a lot of schools uh, because early on, we kind of set a, uh, a philosophy 
that whatever a men's sport has, that a women's sport should have the same thing. Be it the best coaches, be it the best facilities, be in the scholarship numbers, or whatever it is, we tried to balance that off. And by adopting that philosophy early, I think we got a jump. We got good coaches, and some of them are still coaching. They've won numerous uh, national championships. I think it's a question of that whatever you do, you want to do it well. And I, I, I think back to my, uh, my parents. I had two uh, wonderful parents that really didn't have any formal education. Neither one of them finished grammar school. But they had some basic values that helped me. Uh, I can still hear my daddy saying, anything that's worth doing, it's an old saying, is worth doing well. And it always stuck with me. I always remember my mother saying, uh, manners will take you where money won't. Mm. It didn't jive quite as well, but at the same time, it was a base value that was important to me that I learned from them. And so uh, we were fortunate in whatever we did, we, we strove to do it good, to be mm. really good, to be the best we could be at it. And, and I think that that uh, helped us a lot, particularly in uh, the challenge of women's sports. Nick, mm-hmm. thank you so much for inviting us to join you today. You are really good at what you do. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate it. Well, I do have, I have one last question for you guys. Um, but before I ask it, I want to, is that all right? Yeah. Okay. Before I ask it, I want to acknowledge you guys real quick. First, Coach Dooley, I really love the the team over me thing. I think that's something that really a lot of people kind of know, but until you actually say it and make it such a part of your intentionally make it such a part of your culture, that's when people really start to embody that. And I think that's something that was really important for your sustained excellence over such a long period of time. Um, and probably such a big role in the sustained excellence of you guys as a couple as well, always looking as you guys as a family and how you can be successful. Um, and then you guys are always supporting each other back and forth. That's really inspiring and something that I hope I can find in a significant other someday. Well, just be a good recruiter. And keep your eye open for the best. <laughs> awesome. Well, well, the last question is, I think that becoming the best version of yourself is a constant journey. Like you guys have said, you want to always continue to grow and always continue to learn. And I also think it's a unique journey. I think the way that I become the best version of myself is going to be a little bit different than the way that you guys become the best version of yourselves. So for you guys, if you could currently do or currently work on three things to get closer to the best version of yourself. What are three things that you guys could do or work on to get closer to the best version of you? Okay, Barbara. (laughs) I knew he was going to do that to me. Uh, Give me patience. That would be the first thing I would need. I, I cannot, I really have a hard time tolerating people that don't know what they're doing and they're fumbling around. So patience. The second thing would be to maybe take a cooking course. I would love okay. a professional cooking course. But she's pretty good at it. She's just had her own course because she'll try anything. I will. And the good thing about her trying anything is that she's got somebody that likes to eat. And so I'm a great, uh, a great test for whatever you, uh, That's right. you cook. 
So and she's gotten quite good at it. Thank head. you. And then I guess the third thing that would make me a better person is if I could communicate less and listen more. Mm. I like it. Those are good <laughs> ones. You got a lot to live up to, Coach. Yeah. Well, I've always uh, found, because we've had the great privilege of living around a university, uh, in fact, three-fourths of my life, uh, and Barbara's as well, is that we've been around a university of higher education. And there's great opportunity by being around a university and great benefits. And one of them is, is that if you have a curiosity for anything, that you can satisfy it because there's an expert on just about anything there is at a university. And I've always been a curious person and always grew in learning. When I went off to college, I can't say that I went off strictly for academics. I mean, I went off because I had a scholarship and that's the only way I could ever go to college. And then as I went there, and as I learned, I learned that there was more and more out there. He can't just answer a question. So I can't. <laughs> so I still do that today. I take uh, courses, audit courses in history. We used to travel all the time, which we really enjoy doing. And we'd go to these museums and uh, come back and not sure what we saw. So we came back and took an art history course. I was always curious about trees and plants. So I took a course in, uh, in tree identification and one course led to another. That became a wonderful learning experience for me. So what I do have, I've got a sign that I keep in my two offices and it says, I'm still learning. Age 87, Michelangelo. Oh, you're about as opposite. I'm about as opposite as Michelangelo <laughs> as anything could possibly be, except one thing. I'm 87 years old, the same as he, and I'm still learning. And that's the inspiration. And that's what I want to do. And I want to continue to learn as long as I'm around. That's only one thing to make you. <laughs> that that's took a, 30 minutes. That's all right. That's important. <laughs> Continue to love you. To spend the rest of my life with you. So you got it all right there. There you go. That's awesome. This is how we live. <laughs> it's awesome. Oh my gosh, that was that was great. Like you said, he he likes to give background because it gives it gives emphasis to it. It gives emphasis to it, and it's obviously important. It's obviously important to him and everything like that. Well. Thank you guys so much. That's all we got. Um, that was that was so awesome, and I really appreciate you guys. Great being with you. Good being with you, Nick. Keep up the good work. Yeah, you're doing Thank good. Thank you. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed this inspiring episode with Vince and Barbara. I loved Vince's storytelling ability and his quick wit. Barbara has such an infectious and larger-than-life personality that had me smiling throughout the entire interview. If you enjoyed this episode, then let me know by sending me a quick DM on Instagram at carrier underscore best you and let me know your favorite part. Remember to be a contributing member of a flourishing team. You must remember that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts or in UGA terms or in Vince Dooley's term, big team, little me. 
The name of the front of the jersey is a hell of a lot more important than the name on the back. Vince built a team, a culture, and a community with this philosophy and everyone lives by it to this day. To all you out there listening, I just want to say how much I appreciate you. You're using your time wisely during all of this to learn, improve, and grow. You're being proactive to grow yourself now so that you'll be better equipped when all of this returns to normalcy. Because believe me, it will pay off. So keep on keeping on. We'll get through this together and we'll be better for it. But for now, it's time. It's time to take action. It's time to be a leader during this time of crisis. It's time to lead by example so everyone can stay positive and work towards their best selves and so that you can get closer and closer to your best you. 